Hey, how you doing? Thanks for listening. I'm Steve Folland, and this episode is brought to you by the lovely people at The Podcast Host. If you are thinking of starting a podcast to help your freelance business or maybe just chat about a passion that you have, they're a lot of fun. After all, if it's your bag, check them out, The Podcast Host. There's a link at beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for composer and sound designer Akash Tucker. We just kind of formed a friendship, a relationship, which is what all good mentorship should be. Just some sort of genuine relationship, not a part-time job for them. Formed kind of naturally. It wasn't a sort of thing of, I'm going to make him my mentor. It was just kind of came about of, he's smarter than me. I should listen to what he has to say. The quickest hack for networking is to speak about whatever it is you're good at. People will always say like, oh, I have nothing to talk about. Honestly, you probably found that knowledge through extremely hard work and it's worth sharing. Hey, how are you doing? Hope you are well and that business is well. Uh, we've got another great guest in a moment, as you've just heard, over in the States. Akash Tucker is a composer and sound designer, so we'll speak to him. Uh, just to let you know, we're about a month away from New Media Europe, the conference that this podcast is going to be at live. One of the sessions on day two, you can buy tickets just to that session or come along for both days or get tickets to different sessions on the Sunday. Uh, It's really good. If you're near London in England on June 18th, 19th, please do come along. But yes, a live version of this podcast, including Jem and Wayne, who are the hosts of the Powerful Nonsense podcast and freelancers. We have also got Rachel Naylor, who is a freelance voiceover artist, amongst other things, and Phil Pallon, who you may have heard of in the States. Uh, He is a freelance branding expert, has an excellent book all about using Twitter, actually, that I bought a few years ago. He's going to be on the panel as well. So if you fancy joining us, details at the website uh, where you can also sign up to the newsletter check out loads of other episodes and if you're new to this don't forget always check out um, guests even if they don't do the job that you do it makes no difference uh, it's it's all about the being freelance that's what's nice about it oh and as a little side extra uh, don't know if you know but i do video interviews with some freelancers as well for red lemon club it's been going deep into the side projects because sometimes I touch upon side projects in this podcast Um, basically with the video I concentrate on just one thing in particular so for example it might be a film or an animation that they've made and we just go deep into that the most recent one is a German guy called Boris Seval who I I hope to get on this show one day because he he was a joy to talk to and he did this amazing animation uh, a rotoscope animation where he basically did illustration after illustration after illustration imagine flicking through a flick book of illustrations but putting it together on a computer making it a woman dance to music that you've illustrated 1250 individual illustrations dancing to music does that make sense if it doesn't go watch it um i'll put a link on this page as well or f- follow me on twitter or, or whatever and and you'll see it there at the top it's um it's a beautiful animation it's just a, it blows my mind but talking to him and finding out how he did it i loved it you can see the video on red lemon's youtube channel anyway that's enough uh, preamble let's crack on and chat to akash tucker who is a freelance composer and sound designer based in seattle hey akash hey so how about we get started chatting about how you got started being freelance yeah absolutely 
So I went to the Berklee College of Music in Boston to become a rock star. That's, that's why I went. I was a drummer. I had hair down to my butt. I looked like a total crazy drug addict, even though I was the most straight-edge person at that entire school. And while I was there, I was drumming. I was playing with rock bands. I was touring around the world. And I hated it. I actually hated it. I was, I was signing autographs, and it all felt horrible. It was empty. It just didn't feel right. But I eventually wound up uh, playing with a group called the Video Game Orchestra, which <laughs> was exactly what it sounds like. It was an orchestra that plays music from video games, and they're still active today. I was one of the founding members. And we eventually ended up performing on stage with a guy named Nobuo Uematsu, who's the composer of Final Fantasy, if you've heard of those games. Mm. And I was playing next to him. I was right next to him that whole time. And after that concert, I said to myself, I don't want to just play someone else's music. I want to be that guy. I want to do this. I want to write this stuff so other people can enjoy it. So while I was at Berkeley, after I made that mental shift, I started teaching myself how to do music, how to do sound, and taught most of it to myself because there was no video game music, sound design classes or anything like that there. And while doing that, it started to grow. There's a community that started to grow. And there was even a club called the Video Game Music Club that I ended up leading. <laughs> so after that, uh, everyone who was also interested in a similar field kept asking me, what company are you going to work for? Are you going to work in LA? Uh, is it going to be Electronic Arts or Activision? What's the big company? And I kept telling everybody, like, I don't, I have zero desire to do that. I just want to work from home and do my own thing. And everyone laughed at me and told me like, oh, that's never going to happen. You're crazy. So right after graduating, I worked for three months at MIT and did music and sound for uh, their like research-based university games and moved to Seattle totally blind, trying to going to go try out the freelance career. And you know what? It worked out. There was actually a totally smooth transition. I started to meet people in the local game industry and got work basically right away. So I... Ha it was born from a desire to not want to commute and want to work in my pajamas. And it did work out through moving to Seattle and making the right connections initially. Man, okay. So is Seattle like where the US games industry is based? It's definitely one of the hubs. Right. LA, San Francisco, a little bit of New York, Austin, and Seattle has become kind of the, the up-and-comer dark horse, essentially. So you moved there. You, you didn't know anyone had you started like laying i know you know like laying the foundations before you moved there nope uh so a little trick that i use to uh kind of get that network because you know how that impo yeah. important that is is i'm i'm big fan of public speaking i absolutely love public speaking so the day i came here to look at apartments i knew there was a video game development meetup happening so I emailed the organizer and said, hey, you should let me speak. And I know organizers and event organizers are always sweating of who they're going to get to speak at their next event because there aren't that many people willing to do it. So he said, sure. And through that, before I had even officially moved in, everybody in the city knew who I was right Whoa. away just by doing a quick, quick little talk, maybe 30 to 45 minutes about video game music. And there aren't a lot of musicians here. So that kind of worked in my favor. Well, hats off to you. Okay, there's so much we can talk about, clearly. So, yes. do you know, a few things have already sort of jumped out at me. One is that you led a video game orchestra and you started a club and then you found a meetup. Like, it's, it feels like this sort of sense of community 
uh, is really important for you. And almost like if you don't find it, you go and start it. Is, is that right? That's that's basically it. Um, if And I'm lucky in the game industry, it's very open and friendly. So when there are people who are interested in making games, they're very open to having other people who are co- like want to come in and help them out. So thankfully, I work in an industry that's cool with sharing secrets and there, there's no real... Oh no! The don't give don't work for them. I want that job. There's no cutthroat competition in that way. So through that kind of general niceness, I took advantage of it by just putting myself out there as much as I humanly could. And coming from a total introvert and used to be unbelievably awkward person, it kind of helped to put myself out there over and over and over to get over that fear. <laughs> So how did you end up getting your first clients? Because it's one thing to meet people, it's another to get the work. Absolutely. So after I'd given uh, a few of those talks, or one of those talks really, and I was at a meetup just one or two weeks later after that one I spoke at, it was just at a local pub, there's no, no formal speaker or anything, just game developers hanging out, just a Thursday night. I went up to two people who I recognized had come to one of my talks previously and just started chatting with them. And they let me know. They're like, you know what? We already have a musician. We already have a sound designer working on our current game, but we have some questions for you. And they asked me some software questions, some programmy, really technical implementation stuff. And I answered it for them. I sat down with them for about one and a half to two hours that night, just gave them all of my information and just said, here you go. Tell them to do this. And they call me the next day and go, like, we fired them. You should do it. (laughs) (laughs) And that is not the last time that that had happened. I have been in several situations where they had fired their original guy um, and got me, all because I think of that willingness to help of just, here it is. I'm not expecting anything out of it, but here you go. Man. Obviously, what you do is very creative. So how do you show your music? Ah, good question. So... Usually, the the typical way of doing it is to have the demo reel. So you have a video of a game that you're working on, a film, whatever it is, and you have your music underneath it and go like, here you go. Uh, But what I like to do is instead of just doing that or sending them an MP3, is if they give me a general idea of their project, even if they have no art or any playable game or anything like that, what I love to do is ask them about it, see what it's, get the general tone, and then compose a piece of interactive music using kind of video game software and send it to them saying like, here's my idea. And I'm narrating the video as the music's going. So I'm thinking like, okay, when this many enemies appear, the music will do this. And then the music in the video transitions. All right, now the battle's calming down. Okay, the music will transition here. And that's what I tend to do for everybody. And I make a custom two minute max video of me narrating what I'm doing and so they can see what I'm doing on screen too. Really simple, really straightforward, but it's that one step above that tends to show off music really well. Yeah, that's awesome. So so what are they looking at? You actually use a bit of game software. Exactly. It's called uh, middleware. So it's basically this software that allows non-programming plebs like me uh, to have interactive music. So I can set up parameters that say when X happens, do Y. So I have, they're basically just looking at a screen with gobbledygook software. Like they have no idea what's going on, which is why I'm narrating it. So I'm basically showing them, okay, here's a piece of music. It shows a little waveform. Okay, now I'm going to turn up this knob. And this knob denotes how much health you have. 
okay, now that the health <laughs> is going down, listen how the music changes. And the music will shift as I'm turning that knob down or up or that parameter changes. Number of enemies, health, it can be anything. It doesn't matter. So I'm just narrating them through this software while this music is kind of playing with whatever I set up. So just to put things in perspective, how long ago are we talking that you moved to Seattle? Ah, I moved to Seattle in 2012, so September of 2012. Okay, so quite a while, like four, four, well, nearly four years. Almost four years. So how has your business evolved since then? So the first couple of people, you know, you were meeting them through meetups and what have you. What, what's, what's changed? Yeah, so now I'm lucky enough to be in a situation where the work just comes in. Um, I do, of course, still go to meetups. I still hang out with people. I still try to show up as much as I can, which unfortunately, as of late, hasn't been as, as much as I wanted. But I still show up. But the only difference is that, one, people in the general vicinity here know who I am, which is really nice. And two, I don't have to hustle as hard to find a gig. I can, I, I'm not necessarily just sitting on my laurels, but I will get emails every so often of, hey, we want you to work on this game or we need sound design or whatever it may be, which is really, really nice. So that's evolved in that way, which so has... How uh, long would you say it took to get like that? Oh, and God. That, what was that like? <laughs> uh, it, took, it took a long time. Uh, I'd say from 2012 to late 2014. It, uh, maybe, yeah, late 2014, early 2015, it, it was constant hustling, nonstop networking, all that sort of stuff. And then through after two, two and a half years, it started to calm down where I could spend my energy, you know, just working on my craft, I doing more talks, I'm actually doing one tomorrow, um, and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it took, took a little while, but I've been doing this since college. So really, I've been doing this since 2010. So <laughs> if you really want to think about maybe four or five years. And you, you were about to say that it had changed in other or evolved in other ways before I interrupted. Oh, yes. So now what I do as well, on top of more public speaking, I also have online courses that help other people break into the game industry because I know the information that's out there, honestly, even at the big video game conventions, is wrong. It's really outdated. It's really just bad. It's just bad advice. So I started making courses and ebooks and newsletters and all that sort of stuff to help people, freelancers especially, break in and know what they're doing. Because there's that age-old question of how much do I charge, where do I meet people, all that stuff. So I'm trying to help game-specific people kind of break in as well. How, how did that come about? Was that just an extension of the talks you were doing? Yeah, exactly. So it was the, it was the sort of thing of extension of talks and also uh, somewhat self-serving of I got so many emails of the exact same question <laughs> over and over. How do I charge? How do I meet people? Then, you, then a month later, you look at your inbox, there's 100 emails of that exact question. Um, so now I have one spot that I can say, here, you should probably sign up for this thing. Um, <laughs> so so that it, it was born out of both wanting to help people because I love speaking and of hearing my own voice, I guess, and also uh, having that kind of hub that people can just go to without me needing to spend 20 minutes answering every single email. How did you find that, like de developing courses? I'm intrigued like, as to the amount of time that goes into that whether you then need to keep tweaking them and when you felt right to charge x amount you know those kind of mm. things as you're changing path into that yeah so i'm no expert by any means but what it kind of was born out of was 
one, when I was actually just funny stories, little tangent, when I was at Berkeley College of Music, instead of buying textbooks, I actually hired a coach. <laughs> so when I was there, uh, I, yeah, I spent all that money on a coach, which I do not regret at all. Me and him are still great friends. He was like, hey, you should start a newsletter. I'm like, why? He's just like, just do it. It'll pay off in a few years. I'm like, all right, fine. Um, so thanks to him, like five years ago, six years ago now, I started that newsletter, which eventually let me evolve it and make a little community over time into being able to build courses. And because I'd been building that community for a little while, I felt comfortable charging and knowing that I had people emailing me regularly. I knew that people emailed me saying things like, oh, my God, this YouTube video or whatever was so helpful or that talk was so helpful. It was kind of that valid that third party validation I needed before I could say, OK, I'm going to charge you. I didn't just jump in. No one knew who I was totally blind, start charging people. I kind of built up a little bit, tiny bit of rapport with a small community that knew I was trying to be helpful. So with that newsletter, what what were you p- putting out, like um, helpful things about the games industry or what? Exactly. So weekly tips, YouTube videos of like, hey, I'm making this explosion effect. Here's how you do it. Ah. Or, or anything like, here's how you freelance or here's an idea on how to do some basic time management or why focusing on your physical health is so important. Just little tidbits like that once a week, basically. And through that, it eventually grew. So when did you start doing the YouTube videos? Uh, the YouTube videos were, are relatively recent. That started in maybe July of last year. And it's a, become a weekly thing because me and a friend have a little bit of a blood pact where we, we force each other to do one a week. So it, we <laughs> cannot fail. I don't want him to win. He doesn't want me to win. So, so we're, just, we're just forcing each other to do it. It's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. So yeah, you know, that sort of accountability that often you don't get when you're working on your own. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned having a coach as well. Uh, that was at college. But do you have a coach now or a mentor or... Yeah, yeah, several. So uh, the coach at college, his name's Pratt Bennett. He's still he's still my coach. He's the reason I was able to give a TED talk. He coached me like through the whole process and all that stuff. Um, but even still, he's helping me. I also have a guy um, in London. Like I have people teaching me music and business and all that sort of stuff. I'm basically trying to sponge up as much as I humanly can, um, because as you know, that's crazy, crazy, crazy important. And it's Honestly, that's the most fun part about doing all of this is like going into sponge mode and reading a book on business for three days straight is like, oh, that's just that makes me salivate. That makes me so happy. Um, Maybe that's not true for everybody. I'm not sure. But that, yeah, lots of mentors and is getting as much advice as I humanly can, basically. How did you find those mentors? Mm. So the first one, the coach at Berkeley was purely by mistake. I was trolling around on Facebook, wasting time as you do when you're in college. Um, and I see, I see this uh, guy come up, his Facebook name was Pratt Bennett Life Coach. I'm like, interesting. I've, what's a life coach? Uh, so I click his name, like, oh, that's interesting. I go to his website and I see a testimonial from one of my best friends on his website. I'm like, oh, oh, this guy's legit. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's send him an email and see what happens. Um, so that was born out uh, just through <laughs> pure random chance. Super, super lucky there. Um, but the one in uh, London, uh, Brian Rose of uh, London Real is another podcast, actually. So uh, I met him at an event in London at uh, the Ritz-Carlton. 
So there was a there was a guy named Dan Pena who is a guy named as the fifty billion dollar man who just he's a he's a seventy year old army veteran who is worth who's created like fifty billion worth of revenue and just will just scream at you to get your shit together and I love <laughs> I love that I love that so it's so good, um, but Brian Rose the head of that podcast was hosting that event and he and I got along really well. Um, so through that, we just kind of formed a friendship, a relationship, which is what all good mentorship should be, just some sort of genuine relationship, not a part-time job for them. Um, and it formed kind of naturally. It wasn't a sort of thing of, I'm going to make him my mentor. It was just kind of came about of, he's smarter than me. I should listen to what he has to say. Uh you you clearly love learning. Which oh, it's is the great best. To, which is great because, you know, it's, it, a, a lot of people have their creative passion for one particular thing, but you obviously want to learn the business uh, side of it as well. What mm. what would you say have been the key things that you've picked up business-wise over the last few years? Yeah, so in general kind of key things is, one – Social skills are skills. They're not inborn talents, which is what I thought they were. I was so awkward and terrible at talking to people. Um, But I, funnily enough, read books on how to get better with people. And through that and just going out and practicing, that's kind of what made all the difference. So that even though it's not in general, kind of not really a focused business thing, that helped a ton. Um, Another thing that I learned very, very, very quickly is don't get all of your money on a gig up front because you might be tempted to spend it all. And <laughs> so I've, I've tried to avoid that. Like, oh, no, no, they're like, oh, here's all the money up front. And I actually go, like, no, 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 no. Give me like three, per, like 30% of this every month or give me half now or half at the end. Because not because I don't want the money, that would be great. But I know that that temptation is too hard to, to resist when it's just sitting there in the bank account. Um, so I'm, I'm using my own psychology against my stupid self. Um, so that, that's, that's, uh, that's one thing. And kind of through through pure happenstance and speaking, I've learned that the quickest hack, I guess, for networking is to speak about whatever it is you're good at. And even though people will always say like, oh, I have nothing to talk about. Honestly, as soon as people say that or they go like, oh, that's too basic. You probably found that knowledge through extremely hard work. And it's worth sharing because when everyone says, oh, that's uh, everyone knows that, then nobody knows it because everyone's keeping it to themselves. So I think Mm. through all of that uh, speaking, that just crazy, crazy, crazy helpful because it introduced me to the right people. And that's what this is all about is knowing people. And it also put me in a good position to be forced to learn on how to deal with bigger and bigger and bigger clients. So that it kind of all comes from there. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you mentioned there about dealing with bigger clients. Mm. So how has that changed over time? Yeah. So one thing I started to do when bigger clients started to request me, ask for me, hire me, whatever it may be. I started to ask people who are much further ahead in this field than I am, when you're hiring someone or when you're working in this field, when you're working with an audio person, what are your hopes, dreams, and fears? Like, Just tell me what comes up in your brain. Tell me what your lizard brain says when you hire an audio person. <laughs> and they told me things that I never really thought about. I always thought they'd say like, oh, we just want someone who's really good at what they do. Great. No, that never even came up. 
they were always things, saying things like, oh my God, I hope they just don't disappear. I, I want them to communicate all the time. I really need them to just understand what I'm doing. How, I don't know, but I don't understand music, so I'm scared to talk to them. How do I get past these barriers? Like genuine fears were just pouring out of them when I, when I started asking them this. So when bigger clients approached me and when I started to learn that knowledge, I started to kind of word myself in little different ways. I say things like, well, I love communicating. I make sure that you're always in the loop on what I'm doing. And you can just see them visibly like, oh, and just relax and melt into the chair and just be like, oh, this guy gets me. Um, so I think because bigger clients don't have as much time as smaller ones to go through dozens of people. They just want someone who's good, who will do the thing. And if you can make them feel relaxed and they can go about their day, fantastic. So that's kind of how I started positioning myself when bigger clients started coming to, coming to me. That's a great bit of advice. Okay, we will come back and chat more in a moment. Let me just remind you that this episode is supported by the podcast host. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, they have all manner of online courses. Uh, I noticed they teach you how to use Audacity, for for example, if you want to uh, you know, edit it yourself. If you don't want to edit it, you can just record your end of the podcast Give it to them. They then edit it and publish it to the world. Take care of the show notes, everything. Um, there's all manner of stuff going on uh, at the podcast host. And they also have, as well as like the courses, they have like mentorship and mastermind groups. And it looks like a really nice community to join as well. So check them out, whether you're thinking of getting started or you've got one and you perhaps want to grow it in a better way. The podcast host, there's a link at our website. Go find it at beingfreelance.com. And as ever, thank you to them for putting up with my nonsense and supporting this uh, podcast. Thanks to them. Back to you, though, Akash. And you mentioned pricing earlier as well. Mm. Um, How have you got on with that? Yeah, so that's an interesting one in the music business because there's a lot of standardized advice where people will say, Hey, for in the music industry, it's very common to charge, or in film and games at least, it's very common to charge per minute of completed music. So if you have a, if you write one minute of music and it's worth $1,000 and it's complete, it's approved, you get $1,000. If you write two minutes, you get $2,000, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a common sort of standardized format. But what I realized is very early on, whenever you said, oh, I charge $1,000 per minute of music, you see this shock and fear in the client's face. And they're like, oh, God, am I writing this guy a blank check? No, 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 no. Even though everybody else says, oh, this is standard. This is standard. Totally not true. So what I started doing instead, which bucks the trend and everyone I tell to do this doesn't listen to me, but I always just say, here's the flat fee. Here's everything, Blech, which I know is common in things like graphic design and all that sort of stuff. But in music, it's very rare. Um, but I started doing that and instantly my rates could skyrocket because I just told them the rate and they're like, oh, yeah, whatever. Here you go. Fine because it just took that thought off of their plate. It was convenience. So starting to do flat rates, even with bigger clients, they loved it. They absolutely loved it. So through the years, I just started using flat fees. Even if I think of a minute per minute charge in my head, I calculate it out and then give them the flat number and just say, here's how much it costs. How's that feel? And then they tend to just, again, just like before, they relax and they know how much they're going to pay you and then they're cool with it. So that's kind of how it's changed over the years. 
Yeah, a psychological thing. I think it makes sense. You know, if I was hiring somebody, uh, if I was hiring an animator and they were like, well, I'm £40 an hour, £50 an hour, £100 an hour, whatever, mm-hmm. th- that's, that doesn't really mean anything right. to me. But if they say, this is going to cost £1,500, $3,000, whatever, then I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's what I have to spend. Right. That's what it's going to be. It makes a lot more sense. But for some reason, the music world yeah. just never latched onto that yet. Is there still goals of you know i don't know do you look at um particular computer games or particular companies that you're trying to get to like you know that you're still reaching for yeah it's interesting that has shifted actually in the last six to eight months about it used to be that i wanted to work for all the big companies and all the big games and i actually got to do that i worked on a game called hyperlight drifter which was the number one selling game in the entire world uh, just released in March, and then I released. Then I worked on a game called Destiny, which was, which is also a really, really huge game. And now, since that has happened, I'm just like, I just want to make cool stuff. So I really, actually enjoy the independent space a lot. I think more than the big company space right now, because there's so much more creative freedom. So all those awesome indies that are that are coming out and you know, six man teams instead of 600 who are making really creative, weird, quirky stuff. That's who I'm most interested in working with right now. No one in particular, but just cool stuff made by independents is what I'm totally in on. You mentioned earlier that you work from or that you wanted to work from home in your pajamas. Um, <laughs> have you stuck to that? Like is or did you end up getting a studio or whatever? I uh, know I've stuck to it. I'm at home right now. Uh, it's the best. So yeah, I I have always worked from home. Even when some clients say, "Oh, we'd really like you to come into the studio," like one of my bigger uh, clients recently actually said, "Well, we want you to come in and work here." I said, "Nope, that's not part of the deal," and negotiated my way out of it. So it is. It has been something that I've fought fiercely for. Even meetings, I will try and duck out of as much as humanly possible um, because I just love being in this space. So it's just a one bedroom and the bedroom is the actual music space and the bed is just like near the kitchen. So it looks super weird like a serial killer's den, but I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love the setup. But yeah, I've always worked from home and would right now at least, I would say I just don't want to do anything else. It's so good. It's a good job you became a composer and not an estate agent. Uh, right. Thank you. <laughs> or whatever you call them over there. Um, realtor. What do, you, what do you call estate agent? Re- realtor. Real yep. Ag- yep. Real, it is realtor. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting because you're saying, I get the fact that like, you want to create music in your own space, but the fact that you don't want to go to meetings yeah. and stuff, it seems at contrast with the fact that actually you go to these, uh, you know, you go to all these meetups and mm. networking events and you talk and so, so on and so forth um what's the deal there is it just to be is it just that it feels like a waste of time going to meetings or for most of them yes um some of them of course can be very very helpful to get all on the same page but honestly the vast majority of meet like big team meetings i've been to i've walked away and said that was completely useless to all of us um so because i live and work from home, I just prefer to either say, oh, I'll Skype in or just like, oh, like I'll, I'll uh, catch up on the Slack group or whatever it may be. And it's just, it's just an experiment. It started out as an experiment to see 
will this impact me negatively? Will this be a bad thing? And the answer is no. Uh, I'll, of course, go to the first big meeting. I'll go to any huge ones that do come up, anything that's crazy important. But other than that, I'll just keep making stuff and keeping people in the loop. And once they kind of get used to me emailing or slacking or even just a quick Skype conversation in to update them, they tend not to care that I don't show up anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself. Uh, Make two true, one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? All right. First one. I sent a one-line, one-sentence email to a complete stranger to land the biggest gig of my life. I once had a client break down into tears when we heard my rate. <laughs> and I once had to record fart noises for a game I worked on. <laughs> um, okay, so you wrote one line a one-line email that you got you your biggest gig. Is that mm. what you said? That Yeah, that was the first one. How do you write a one-line email? Unless the one line is, I have really compromising photos of you. If you don't <laughs> give me this job, I will post them everywhere. Um, rate. Your rate reduced someone to tears. <laughs> um Fart noises. Fart, what was the game for fart noises? What character had to make the... Uh, it was a it was a cute educational game with with uh, animals. Give me a squibble fart. So, so got it. You got to do that. Yeah. How about a rabbit? Oh, that's actually what had to fart. <laughs> that is actually the animal. Was it? Yes. Well, you should be good at this. Go on then. All right. It's just a little. And I had to. I had. I have to make the little voice, of course, right? Okay, that's got to be true. <laughs> Rate t- okay, the one which isn't true is that you didn't get a big gig through one line. Aha, it was the, it was the client's tears one. I got, <gasps> I got my biggest gig through a one-line, half-sentence email. How? Uh, <laughs> I, you know what? Pit, pity? I, I, <laughs> Look, we will pay you so that you can get a coach Please to stop. teach you how to write. <laughs> no, uh, it's funny. It, it, was for, it was for that number one selling game, actually. Um, I emailed him. It was, it was a project that was up on Kickstarter. That's how it all started. And I emailed the creator and said, hey, I'd love to do sound design for this. Here's how much I charge. I'll do an amazing job. And here's the, the, the best part of this is I asked him, like, okay, why did that work? Like, please tell me, because that's insane. <laughs> and he tells me later, he said, well, I had people emailing me who worked on big games like Call of Duty and Mass Effect begging me to do it for free. And you charged the most out of literally anybody who emailed me. <laughs> and that's why I picked you. <laughs> Fair play. Um, Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would it be? The one thing I'll tell my younger self about uh, freelance just in general is never, ever, 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 ever stop speaking. Just keep, keep going. Because my younger self gave talks at libraries with one person who showed up or sometimes zero people who showed up. So... That was disconcerting. So I, I would tell them that because that has made all the difference in my career. Man, so you really feel like speaking is totally a huge thing for you. I mean, for me specifically, uh, I, I had a dream when I was 17 to give a TED Talk and I did it last year in November. And that's kind of my equivalent of writing a book. Now I can be like, hey, you should, 
you should watch this. Just shove it in people's faces and use it as a business card, essentially. Um, for me specifically, yes, I, I love it as someone who used to be, un, uh, again, I can't, I wish there was video of me, but just so awkward and so bad with people um, to come from that and use speaking as the outlet to get better at it. It's just awesome. Good for you, Akash. It's been so good to talk to you. It's great to hear the passion in your voice and <laughs> that you're doing what you love. Good for you. Thank you. And uh, it's interesting because our, our son, what's he, he's six and he loves the music in computer games. Like, <gasps> awesome. It, it doesn't go unnoticed. It's. Um, I think it was because when he was like two or three, he would see me and his mum playing Mario, and he he just picked up the Mario tunes. Like he knew every single level had a different tune and all the different things oh. that would go with it. And uh, and yeah, now he just sits there quite happily singing Mario and Angry Birds or whatever. Oh, that's he beautiful. Just yeah, so, you know, one day I'll get him out there yes, talking. Now. Yes, That'll please. <laughs> Watch your back. Um, no, really, he's a really good wrestler. Um, <laughs> check out beingfreelance.com. We'll put a link to everything that Akash is up to, of course, and you can reach out to him on Twitter. If you've enjoyed this, thank you for being on. Check out his, uh, his talks, and uh, if you're particularly into, um, you know, composing for games and stuff, then all of his materials and resources that he's got on his website look great as well. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And since Akash mentioned email newsletters, sign up for ours too, beingfreelance.com. Akash, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you so much. That was a treat. (laughs) 